Hi, everybody. Welcome to My Cheesehead Life, a Packer fan podcast. My name is Patrick. I'm the host of this podcast. And thank you for joining me on Happy Hump Day here. October 25th, middle of the week. Um, yeah, a little, little shake up on the intro music there. So welcome again to My Cheesehead Life, a Packer fan podcast. I've got a website, mycheeseheadlife.com. My email, if you want to email the show, is info at mycheeseheadlife.com. I'm on X with the handle called uh, at mycheeseheadpod, and I got my cheesehead insta. Um, but yeah, I thought I'd get a little creative or do something different with the intro there. Uh, if you if you listen to my case of the Mondays, I was still kind of getting out of a cold and you know illness and feeling much much better today uh still you know maybe got just a little hint of the nasally sound so there you go but otherwise um yeah i mean i just i don't know the the once in a great while where i get sick i hit kind of like rock bottom and then uh when i really start to feel better uh i feel rejuvenated like i'm gonna change my life and do things differently and then that'll last two or three days and I'll be back to just my typical habits. Uh, but at least for now, uh, pretty well have shaken off the cold and the aches and, and all that that goes with it and feeling uh, much better. So thanks for listening. Uh, remember to like and follow and share and subscribe all, all those things that may or may not apply to a Spotify podcast. Um, and, uh, just want to give a nod there to the intro music. Cause I think that was part of my rejuvenation today coming out of the doldrums of being sick and another Packer defeat. Uh, I don't know why, but like in my day job, I'm able to, um, you know, listen to music. Well, I mean, I don't know why that I, I kind of got misdirected there, but so I, you know, desk work, computer work. And for years, uh, whether it's been the current day job or previous day jobs, one of the things I do to kind of plow through work is listen to music. And by that, I don't mean like radio. I'm pretty much streaming my own like Amazon music and, you know, picking different genres or my own playlist. Just it's a a thing for me to help plow through the work. And so today, I don't know exactly why it occurred to me, but, you know, it'll be one of those things where I'll think of a, a old band or someone to listen to from years ago while I'm not working. And then I kind of forget when I'm at my regular workday. So today I finally remembered I wanted to listen to some of my my favorites from middle school. Um, and it, it was LL Cool J, Walking with a Panther. So that intro song, or that intro there, was was a brief take from his uh, great song, Going Back to Cali. Um, so if you, if you want a little taste or flavor of that again, here you go. Um, so this, this album came out in 1989. I was 13 years old. I don't think there was a lot of kids in my hometown that were probably rocking LL Cool J, um, but I loved it. I, I would argue that this might have been my most listened to CD compact disc back in the day. Um, as soon as I heard some of the songs just basically hit play on Amazon and, and track number one, like almost immediately got, felt like I got teleported back to the old childhood bedroom where you're playing, you know, Nintendo and got, you know, CDs playing in the background. Uh, so that was awesome. Really, uh, even came upstairs after work and mentioned it to Mr. Cheesehead. I'm like, Oh my God, I just listened to like the whole album of LL Cool J walking with a Panther. Probably haven't listened to any of that in maybe 30 years at least. And, uh, somehow, or, you know, Thank you, LL, for uh, really rejuvenating me today, this afternoon. Needed it. Needed it. And uh, with that in mind, I was able to stumble across a little right up here. This is on Discover Music, uh, or you Discover Music, so I, I, I guess I did discover it today. Um, uh, the story of LL Cool J's iconic Walking with a Panther album cover. So if you're not a big LL Cool J fan... Like I said, this album came out in 1989, and on the on the disc or CD cover, it's LL kind of crouched down in a in kind of dark looking alleyway, briefcase, and and then there's a panther there with a big gold chain on it. Um, so it was always to me kind of a little bit captivating to look because the panther's kind of almost looking like right at the camera along with LL, and kind of when you're a kid in the 80s, you can't just look up stuff like this really, you know, and find out the backstory. 
Uh, but apparently as a Gen Xer, you know, much, much older and, and access to internet, I was able to find a little write up here about uh, how that all went. So a um, couple highlights here from the article before we get into the sports stuff. Uh, the audacious cover of LL Cool J's Walking with a Panther. Oh, I'm sorry. This is from uh, Philip Milnar. Uh, this is from June, just this past June. Uh, so audacious cover of LL Cool J's Walking with a Panther instantly elevated the 1989 album to iconic status flagrantly throwing off the usual success symbols of cars cash and models for his third studio project on def jam the hollis queens raised james todd smith that's ll uh decided instead to pose in his signature bucket hat alongside an attitude laden panther rocking a heavyweight gold chain it's an image that's now etched in the annals of golden era hip-hop iconic iconography iconography i'm not sure always the best way to say that um so it goes on you know kind of describes the album a bit uh rick rubin was was part of that uh def jam records uh russell simmons you know a lot of big names going on back then in in the earlier days of hip-hop and um it says here the photograph used to introduce again that's always not the best grammar maybe the photograph used to introduce walking with a panther to the world i guess that works was taken by ricardo betancourt who moved to new york city in 1980 and began shooting album covers three years later according to betancourt he snagged the gig after def jam head honcho russell simmons was struck by the work he'd produced for crossover latin music star ruben blades's Isis de solar album trying my best to pronounce that and when Simmons called Betancourt, he admitted they'd attempted to shoot a cover for Walking with a Panther in Los Angeles, but weren't convinced by the image. And uh, it goes on to say here from Betancourt, the problem they had was the panther they used in L.A. was sedated, and they thought she looked too much like a stuffed animal. Um, and he said, I remember Russell asked me, can you get me a live panther? I said, of course, we can get anything. Uh, so we actually got two panthers for the shoot a young nine-month-old panther and an older panther who was more aggressive. Um, preparing for the shoot, uh, they scouted a cobblestone alleyway situated uh, close to the West Side Highway and 12th Street in Manhattan, uh, and he began to organize the logistics. A 15-foot-high fence was required to secure the location, along with two policemen packing high-powered guns as part of the insurance requirements. During the research phase, Benton's court was warned that panthers would be fine uh, once they sniffed and checked out the area, but the one thing that could potentially set them off would be a bout of lightning. So that's kind of a, a variable, I guess. I hope you're checking a forecast regularly before this photo shoot. Uh, and it says, Betancourt recalls LL Cool J showing up to the shoot in his Mercedes-Benz convertible with cases of champagne he wanted in the shoot and three girls. And Betancourt used these props during a warm-up se session, but felt it eventually was too loaded. Uh, he gradually subtracted the bench, champagne girls, yada, yada. Um, so it was interesting. Yeah, he, he ends up here. Um, he wanted to follow um, Hungarian war photojournalist Robert Kappa's maxim that if you come away from a shoot without a strong image, it's because you weren't close enough. So proximity to the can panther would be key. And although Betancourt says, I wasn't worried about working with the Panthers, to be honest, I was more worried about the policemen with the guns because if the Panthers go crazy and jumps on somebody, they're going to have to shoot her. And I didn't know if those policemen had any experience doing that. Um, so, yeah, you know, kind of interesting. Also, it says that they had, um, you know, they actually had some le leather le leashes on the Panthers that were digitally erased from the photos in post-production. Uh, you know, funny to think of, you know, what digitally erasing photos meant back in 1989 compared to what you can do with photos nowadays. Um, and then it says, uh, Betancourt remembers the younger wildcat quickly emerging as the cover star. Her temperament was better. There was something very wild in the behavior of the older Panther, but the younger Panther was way more playful. And even though she scratched my assistant at the time and ripped her jeans in a playful way. Um, so yeah, I guess they had a little mist during the shoot, which gave the cobblestone alleyway a little bit of uh, a shine to it. Um, so thank you, LL Cool J for, uh, you know, your music, giving me some juice to get through my work this afternoon. And, uh, there's some, some interesting tidbits about the, the album cover for walking with a Panther. I'll have that article in the links, by the way, there's the, the cheese curd blog, uh, my, uh, on my cheese at life.com. 
called Cheese Curds. That's the blog. And, uh, and also, I guess, when you're on Spotify, there's a summary there, too, that'll have these links. Uh, but if you're interested in learning more about LL Cool J's uh, album cover, there you go. And then uh, up next, got an installment from um, Stream Team or Team Stream. I'm not sure the best way to say that. I guess probably Team Stream is better than Stream Team. Cause, yeah. Um, so we watched uh, uh, The Fall of the House of Usher. And before you start thinking, like, it wasn't that Usher. But, you know, anytime I mention it or see it on the, the titles, that's like I just I'm waiting for Usher to pop out during the show. Um, but it was on Netflix, The Fall of the House of Usher. And uh, if you're not familiar, it's related or, you know, based on stuff written. See, Usher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I was doing like the bite, biting the lip and everything with that. Um, so uh, now that Usher has gone away, the more contemporary usher this was a good show so we're in that kind of season yet here halloween creepy stuff everywhere you know we had the poll results where i know two out of three people that responded prefer not to watch scary stuff but i think the fall of the house of usher was pretty good it's on netflix kind of newer it was like number one in the you know uh viewers or streams and all that for a while i think it got knocked off already but it's pretty good. Uh, me and Mrs. Cheesehead uh, definitely c- considered it bingeable. There's a little, it's based on, you know, the short stories by Edgar Allan Poe, who was a guy where I, when I was a youngster, I kind of enjoyed reading some of his short stories. So that's what kind of caught my eye. There wasn't much on TV the other night, like regular TV. So I just hit play on episode one and within 10 minutes, I think Mrs. Cheesehead turned and said, well, I'm interested. You know, it's got a good start and kind of keeps you interested the whole while. A little bit gruesome, you know technically it's categorized as horror but i mean it's not like a ton of you know jump out scary stuff um and you know i don't know just kind of seasonal uh good creepy kind of show to watch definitely tvma as it says here on netflix um because of some of the gruesome stuff in there and everything else but uh yeah if you're looking for something to watch kind of holiday uh, holiday halloween weekend coming up here soon or you know, this is kind of a holiday uh holiday Halloween weekend, uh, that'd be a good one to binge over the weekend. And, uh, you know, definitely not safe for children and uh, TV mature, like I said, but, um, we enjoyed it. Uh, got it like the two thumbs up, totally bingeable type of show for us anyways. So there's another segment from uh, team stream for you. And then a little bit of touch on the baseball news before we get into, you know, a lot of the football stuff. So the D bags, D backs, pardon me. Um, they ended up beating the Philadelphia Phillies to go on to the World Series. And what's kind of noteworthy about that, and I didn't, you know, the local radio guys brought this up, or at least that's where I heard it first, was um, that every, t- every time the Brewers have been eliminated from the playoffs, playoffs, that they have, um, the team that's beaten the Brewers has gone on to the World Series. So isn't that kind of an interesting, like, tidbit there? You know, Brewers, for most of my childhood, you know, really didn't make the playoffs. So this is mostly recent history. Uh, You know, there was, of course, the 82 Brewers to the World Series, I think, or, you know, maybe a glimpse here and there in the the 80s. But um, it's been mostly recently in the 2000s, later 2000s here, or more recent 2000s, I should say. And so according to this and some of the local chatter, just, you know, a little kind of noteworthy item next time you see the Brewers get eliminated from the playoffs, Uh, Just about every time that, well, really every time that team has gone on to play in the World Series. Um, So it says here, uh, I got this article off Fox Sports today, but again, you know, local radio guys, lots of, lots of people, a lot of people talking about this kind of weird factoid, but uh, the trend is this in nine times, nine times that the Brewers have made the postseason in franchise history eight of which have come in years where there was a division series in the MLB playoff format. Every team that has defeated Milwaukee has gone on to at least reach the World Series, if not win it all together. Um, so I got an article here, like I said, off Fox Sports. That'll be in the links for you if you want to read in more detail. Kind of goes through each year, the 81 Yankees, 82 Cardinals, 2008, and then it jumps ahead, like I said, to 2008 Phillies. 2011 Cardinals, 2018 Dodgers, 2019 Nationals, 
Um, several of these teams went on to win the World Series, like the 2020 Dodgers, 2011 Atlanta Braves, or I'm sorry, 2021. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of a weird factoid that if you're, if you're good enough to beat our Brewers, apparently that, that means you're probably going to be a lock for the world series. So good job, Brewers way to, you know, kind of punch that ticket for them teams to get to the world series, give them a good fight, you know, and then everybody else seems easier afterwards, I guess. So, uh, enjoy that if you want to read it. So yeah, let's get into some of our more normal more normal football stuff here then and we'll start with maybe someone you know on a little brighter side is our badgers um so they got the big game coming up this week um you know i guess it's a big game in terms of uh playing the number three team in the country i'm not i'm not holding out any hope the badgers win this one uh so if if you didn't know uh the badgers are going to be hosting ohio state uh ranked number third undefeated ohio state and that'll be on national TV, it looks like, here. Chiefs at daylight time, 6.30 p.m. Uh, and the Badgers are 14.5-point underdogs against the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, so interesting there. You know, a lot of eyeballs will be on this game. Uh, at this point, we're just hoping the Badgers will give them a good game, I guess. Um, the According to Yahoo Sports here, the implied final score would be Ohio State, something like 30. And the Badgers around 15 points somehow. Um, so there you go. Uh, you know, kind of that's, that's the bad news. You know, you win the, the nice comeback win against a team like, uh, Illinois, not, not one of the toughest teams, but always fun to watch a win. And then your, your reward is to come back and have to face the number three Ohio state Buckeyes on Saturday. So it'll be fun. You know, it's kind of nice, I guess, when your expectations couldn't be much lower. Um, you know, it seems pretty clear the Badgers are not ready for this type of uh, level of competition, but maybe they'll surprise us. You know, it, they're going to be starting the freshman again, Braden Locke. Um, if I'm looking at some of the numbers here, um, you know, obviously Ohio State has that big-time wide receiver, Marvin Harrison Jr. He's got like 42 catches, six touchdowns, 776 yards already. Um, and, you know, we're, we're doing better on the rushing side. So Badgers are 67th in the country rushing the ball at 179 per game. Whereas Ohio State's like 181st with only 127. But, um, you know, the big discrepancy, if you go to the passing game, Ohio State's 17th in the country at about 305 yards a game. And Wisconsin 133rd with 216 per game. Um, total yards per game. Ohio State quite a bit better, 51st uh, with 431, and then Badgers at 98 with 395 per game. Uh, points for, uh, uh, neither of these teams are really super high, I guess, uh, interesting with all the college teams and, you know, some of those smaller Division One programs maybe rack up points. Um, but definitely a discrepancy in points against. Uh, Ohio State is 35th, only giving up 70 points, and Badgers 68 with 128 points. Uh, allowed so yeah it'll it'll be interesting fun to watch you know certainly be rooting for the badgers and, and hunkering down saturday night and hopefully they can make it a game you know again this is you know kind of hopefully they just make it a game because um you know expectations pretty low you know ohio state clearly a hugely established program luke fickle from ohio state so who knows maybe he'll have some tricks up his sleeve i think you know the badgers defensive coordinator is uh you know offshoot brother nephew cousin whatever of a former ohio state coach as well uh fossil or fossil i forget um so there's definitely a lot of connections there i think this is what fickle was looking for when he joined the badgers was to eventually you know get some shots at his former program that didn't give him the full-time job but in year one of the uh the new regime and the transfer guys and all that's going on and you know a lot of these players on the roster were recruited by the prior you know program uh, it'd be a pretty tall order to expect the Badgers to win this one, but we'll see. And just like I said, hopefully it'll be a, a good, fun, competitive game to watch. Maybe it'll be crazy because I don't know when it was. I should have did some research, but I don't know how many years ago where, you know, kind of similar deal. Uh, Buckeyes came into Wisconsin on Saturday night, Camp Randall. And I think there was like an opening punt return for a touchdown or kick return touchdown. And Badgers ended up pulling off a, a pretty big upset, if I recall that night, maybe 10, 12 years ago, something like that. Could be longer. I don't know. Time flies. Uh, but anyways, we'll be definitely keeping an eye on the Badgers Saturday. Again, that's 6.30. Uh, Cheesehead Daylight Time on NBC. 
and Badgers 14.5 point underdogs against Ohio State. A couple other quick notes in college then, just take a quick peek. I mean, we got some some heavy hitters in the Big Ten here. The top five in college football right now are Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, Washington. So uh, all of them teams are undefeated, and then uh, throw in number six, Oklahoma. So uh, right now, the, all the undefeated teams are filtering to the top of the rankings. Badgers are not ranked yet. Um, and some other noteworthy items, uh, we, we were checking in on coach prime here and there in Colorado and, you know, taking coaching your kids to the extreme by, he's got two kids on this football team. He coaches in Colorado. Uh, so, you know, they, they kind of leveled off a little bit after a lot of hype early in the year, you know, now Colorado sitting at four and three, they're going to play, uh, and they're unranked. They're going to play uh, UCLA five and two, they're ranked 23rd and that'll be, um, on ABC, uh, if you want to watch Coach Prime and his sons try to win against UCLA. Uh, so there's that. Uh, Graham Mertz, as far as I know, continues to do a nice job in Florida. So good job, Mertzy. Uh, I don't really have that one at my fingertips. So how about that be enough for our college football talk for now? And let's get into still some aftermath, if you will, on uh, the Packer game coming out of Denver there. Um, so I I don't have like the tweets or the posts, you know, to share specifically, but I'll just give you some observations. I had a uh, watching some things on X today, uh, or the last couple days since case of the Mondays and you know, a couple things stood out. Uh, one Josiah DeGuara, uh, still seems to really have trouble blocking anybody. I saw at least two highlights, well, highlights, if you want to call them that, where he's, you know, really just like diving at the defender. The defender just sidesteps him. Like just, I mean, I don't know. It's like middle school, just diving. I don't know where that technique is coming from if he's being coached that way uh but boy as like kind of that motion h-back fullback whatever they call him who's supposed to be you know picking up a lot of these blocks on the edge uh he sure does miss a lot of guys i mean you know in a couple of these he he got a piece of a guy and he kind of fell down and stuff but it's still just not a great look to see 81 just kind of diving at air a lot and then the defenders just you know maneuvering around him uh, so I'm afraid I'm probably going to have to revoke that try award I gave out to uh, Josiah DeGora a couple weeks back when he made like one catch and a nice block against the Raiders. Uh, so so he's back on, on the shelf for that one. Because against uh, what I saw in some of these cut-ups for, for the Denver game, he, he wasn't really hitting any blocks. And I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, he seems to get a ton of snaps. Uh, they don't really throw him the ball. He doesn't seem to block much or very well. So it'd be interesting to see if they could, you know, find anyone else to fill that role uh, instead of Josiah Degara. Um, other things that I saw kind of mentioned and pointed out by, you know, the some of the, the good writer types that have time to, you know, really take a harder look. And I think it was Andy Herman is a name I want to mention. He had a couple good highlights that he spotlighted some things. And one of them to me, interesting, you know, because the defense has kind of been getting like the, yeah, all right, you know, defense is hanging in there, leave, keeping them under 20. And, and while that's true, um, several of these games, Raiders, Broncos, um, whoever, they, they've done an okay job, but they're still giving up lots of first downs, lots of rushing yards. But yeah, the points on the board aren't terrible. But I would ask to keep in mind that these aren't really the, the top-notch offenses we faced in the first uh, half of the season here, roughly almost half the season. And that'll probably change here going forward. So it'll be interesting to see if this, you know, somewhat, you know, finally steady, getting a little bit of credit defense is kind of just uh, a, a result of the opponents they're facing and teams like the Raiders, teams like the Broncos, teams like the Falcons, or even the Falcons put up a ton of yards, not known for a high-powered offense. Um, the Saints, you know, uh, Derek Carr, he even got injured that You know what I mean? So we're not really a ton of high-powered offenses in the first half of this or the front half of the schedule. And now, you know, this will start up as we take a look at this coming week. You know, that'll start to change. So it'll be interesting to see because – what I'm getting at, I kind of got a little sidetracked there, um, but uh, this this one guy pointed out where Denver, and this was early, I think, in the first half, and I, this wasn't something I could watch live. We were at soccer, and then I got to see some of these highlights. Uh, they were they were at like, uh, I don't know, second and four or something on the five or six-yard line, the guy explains, 
And he says, you know, Denver has a heavy package, so to speak, you know, fullback, just one wide receiver, a couple tight ends, all that. And then the Packers matched it. Okay, fine. You know, they're in somewhat of their own, like heavy formation, extra linemen, no nickelback and, and some of those things. And then that play goes for like three yards and they end up with like third and one. Uh, and then obviously closer to the goal line. So if you watch the game, I didn't get to watch this part live, but you probably know what I'm talking about. So they're down, Denver's down by the goal line, third and one, and then they do a sub, but according to this guy, you know, it was pretty, it was kind of like, you know, just, just uh window dressing. They just kind of moved a guy in and out, but it was still basically a, a heavy formation for the offense. And then it was funny because the, the the Andy Herman said like I just I just don't get it I don't get it. He pointed out then that okay while the Packers did all right on third down or, or the the previous down you know matching heavy for heavy on this subsequent play for some reason they took out two of their linemen brought in Keyshawn Nixon nickel nickel uh, back and then they brought in Isaiah McDuffie you know kind of a light linebacker compared to having these two linemen in there. So, you know, the whole point being Joe Barry just almost going out of his way to make things more difficult, just leave the heavy guys in there against the heavy offense. And sure enough, Denver ends up running the ball. They got uh, in the end zone, I guess, technically, but apparently at that uh, play, they had a holding call or something. So maybe you could argue, well, the holding got him the touchdown, whatever. But the point being is, uh, you know, still examples of head scratching moves by the defensive coaching staff and that's what's kind of getting people is okay they're holding some points you know off the board and that's great but they're still again allowing teams like Denver Broncos to really kind of control the ball uh, move the ball a lot you know they got the late uh, field goal in the first half you know Packers finally got a lead late in the game and the defense just you know let them go right down the field and kick the field goal um so the defense, will it'll be interesting to see how this goes going forward because, again, they're getting a little bit of, like, uh, a pass, and that's fair because they've, they've done okay with the points. But, I, again, I don't, I don't know that they've faced the toughest offenses yet, and we'll find out during the next three to four weeks for sure if there's any legitimacy to this defense, I think. And then other things kind of switch into the other side of the ball, the offense. Um, it seems pretty clear that like everything's going wrong on offense. So that's good. And one of the things pointed out, and one of the guys that might've been Andy Herman against has like this legit happens like five times a game. He said on one of his posts on X where he's pointing out. And, and I I think, you know, this was evident on one of the early third downs where the receivers are running to the same area. And in football, that's a bad thing. Uh, Usually you want to have them guys spread out. Because if you have two receivers in one area, well, what does that mean? You have two defenders in one area typically as well. And so not a great recipe for success. And that was something I noticed on some of the, you know, footage put on X where these guys are looking at, you know, the post-game aftermath and saying, well, here's a play where, you know, what are these two guys doing? And what are these two guys doing? So, you know, a lot of, a lot of scrutiny on love, of course, and, and that's justified, I think, as the quarterback. He's certainly not making... A lot of the best decisions, um, but it seems pretty clear when you when you see more and more of this footage. And again, I don't know if it goes back to coaching or this is normal learning curve or if it's Lafleur's system. That's that's up to the coaches who get paid millions of dollars to figure out. You know, it's up to the basement podcasters here to wonder why it's not figured out. And so that's what's happening is a lot of these guys keep running into the same area. You know, maybe you don't always see that on the television broadcast, but when you can take a day or two and look at it all, uh, like I said, that guy said this legit happens like five times a game. And so love is, you know, he's kind of got, you know, one arm tied behind his back. If he's got, you know, half of his receivers running to the wrong spot on any given player, you know, they're meaning if one guy runs the wrong route, you know, and the other guy's correct, but they're in the same area, you know, it kind of eliminates both of them. And I think we even saw that, and I don't know that it was even talked about much on the touchdown throw that went off Dobbs hands and seemed a little odd to me that Jaden Reed was kind of like right behind Dobbs, almost running like the same exact route. Um, so that one, it worked out, but apparently according to the analysis, there's lots of those examples. And then interesting too, you know, Jordan Love, it, this is something that to me has been a bit disappointing 
because I would hope as like a first year starter, you know, the emphasis and the focus would really just be on efficiency and executing the offense correctly. And they're, they're in these videos where these guys are kind of, you know, taking a harder look at the decision-making. There's definitely examples of guys being open that love's not going to. And that's frustrating because that was a big thing where, you know, it kind of felt like later in stages of those Hall of Famers, you know, Favre, Rogers, they both kind of did it. You know, almost felt like they they knew better than the than the than the scheme. You know, would be kind of forcing the ball into their guys, or you know what some people might call hero ball, just throwing it deep on plays where you don't really necessarily need to throw deep. And I kind of been joking a little this week. It's like Jordan Love has skipped the ten year window of running your offense efficiently. You know, like those guys did, and gone right to the the old guy phase of just chucking the ball deep. You know, and that's that's unfortunate. It's tough to watch. It's not. You know, I I like Jordan Love. I he clearly needs more time. I'm not ready to just you know discard him, of course, but at the same time, you know that little bit of I don't know if you just say arrogance in the decision making is to me unexpected. The little glimpses we saw of Jordan Love in relief time or whatever, he seemed like a guy who's pretty willing to just you know execute the offense, take what was there, and and we saw some nice moments in that. Skip ahead, skip ahead. You know now he's the main guy. And while the first couple weeks seemed pretty efficient for him, I don't know if I um, started to get carried away. Uh, believe in your own press, press clip, press clippings. That, <laughs> that's kind of an outdated phrase, I guess, to know who's, who's clipping newspapers anymore. But, um, you know, is that a part of it where the first couple weeks, you know, you went easy enough or good enough and then you kind of lose some of that discipline because that uh, last interception to... Well, whoever it was on the Broncos, um, there's there's been some slow mo highlight footage showing like AJ Dillon just sneaking right out of the backfield all by himself, wide open. I think I mentioned that on Case of the Mondays, um, and then talk a little bit about Love sloppy mechanics. And then right up, I saw where it said like, you know, even if he threw it deep there, that's not maybe the worst decision at the time that he did, but his kind of you know, leaning backwards and just chucking it sky high, you know, and kind of giving the defender a chance to get to it was, was really the biggest problem. He said, you know, this right up said if he really drove that ball kind of more towards the corner pylon and end zone and let Toure run under it, you know, that play might have had a chance. So, yeah, plenty of blame to go around. Uh, we'll see what happens here. We'll start talking a little bit going forward. We're ready to kind of close the books on that Denver game. Uh, but just wanted to share a little bit more of that uh, aftermath of uh, some of the analysis from the loss at Denver. All right, so let's start looking ahead like a hump day helmets, uh, getting ready here for the upcoming week, uh, entering week eight already of the season. And uh, we'll start by taking a peek here as, as you know, week seven winds down at the power rankings. Now it's crazy because, you know, I had the work travel. I missed the hump day. And then I was ill, so I didn't quite get back to this as quick as... I mean, when I left, where we left off last hump day broadcast or show was uh, San Francisco was undefeated, Philadelphia was undefeated, and since then, uh, Eagles lost one, haven't looked super all the time. Uh, San Francisco lost two, including to the Vikings. Um, and again, you know, I had mentioned my picks had been doing good. So yeah, that was, you know, you're welcome. I did the... Uh, the jinx, I picked a couple of undefeated teams to cover uh, a couple weeks back, and that's when the Eagles lost to the Jets, I think, and then uh, San Francisco lost to the Browns. So I was kind of like, well, how can I go wrong picking the undefeated teams? And <laughs> Well, there you go. I went wrong. So uh, power rankings, we've been keeping up a little bit with this fella, Nate Davis, on USA Today, and these will be in the cheese curd links and the summary links. Uh, Chiefs are at the top spot, up from number three, uh, Eagles are the second-ranked uh, team, according to this guy, up from number four. Uh, Niners uh, now go from number one to number three. And the Ravens, after you know, a pretty dominating win over our Lions here in the north, uh, they go from 10 to four. How about them Lions, right? Like That was going to be, to me, kind of like, all right, big test. And I kind of thought maybe they'd give them a good game, and they got smoked. Uh, Jaguars are actually the, the fifth-ranked team. Look at them. Jaguars moving up from seven. And then uh, we'll look at the NFC North here after the top five. The Lions actually sitting at six, down from number two. 
it says that resounding thud you heard was the end of a 15-game streak of scoring at least 20 points and a 17-game run of at least double-digit points. Yeah, I think the final was like 38-6. to So uh, Lions might be coming back to earth a little bit there. Um, and then I think we'll you'll just scroll past a whole lot of teams here in the rankings to find the rest of the NFC North teams because, uh, well, look at this. You know, Packers are still, you know, kind of the top of that nfc north bottom if you will uh but they drop they drop from 21 they're now 26 it says the packers they've been outscored 46 to 6 in the first half during their three game slide holes not even finally healthy running back aaron jones can be expected to lift a team out of so there you go packers are at 26 i must have missed the vikings the vikings must have jumped up a bunch where are those Oh yeah, Vikings 19, coming to town Vikings. They're up from 22, so they're up to 19. Quarterback Kirk Cousins, third career Monday night win in 13 attempts, plus Cameron Bynum's heroics, two interceptions, and an airtight offensive line bring an unexpected victory that suddenly has Minnesota a half game out of a wild card spot after a 1-4 start. And that's the thing, you know, I mentioned it on previous episodes, it's not always like, you know, there's a lot of hype on these first, you know, couple months of the season and all the attention. And but, you know, it's a long season, right, Coach? Um, so, you know, the, the um, Cousins and the Vikings, they started one and four. They've won like two out of three or whatever now. And they're right in the mix or they're, they're kind of back in it. And if the Packers aren't careful Sunday when they face the Vikings, uh, you know, they could be looking at being the, the bottom of the division. So uh, how's that for middle of 2023 season? Uh, compared to starting, you know, pretty decent, and the Vikings were struggling, Bears were struggling, and now, uh, now Packers are kind of struggling. So, anyways, I overlooked those uh, those Vikings. We'll get back to the last one here. Would be the Bears. So they went from twenty nine to twenty eight, and wide receiver DJ Moore's six hundred and thirty six receiving yards are nearly one hundred clear of what any Chicago player produced in twenty twenty two. All of twenty twenty two. Uh, so clearly the passing game has, has vastly improved for the Bears. And uh, that's certainly a concern for our Packers because uh, our passing game has not improved at all. It's just gone worse uh, for several weeks. So a uh, little bit of, little bit of shakeup and, and, and I don't know, a little bit of stress here in the division as these other teams like the Bears and Vikings start to figure it out a little bit more. And the Packers continue to struggle. And so with that, let's take a, maybe a little closer look at this matchup coming up with the Packers in, in Minnesota. Uh, I can tell getting later in the evening here. I'm very pleased. This is like my first day in, in almost a week without any like day quill, night quill. Um, so I'm glad to be taking those steps away from the meds. But at the same time, you know, it isn't like later in the night. The voice starts to go more, get more nasally. So we better start winding down the hump day broadcast here. Um... So, like I was saying, the Minnesota, they're coming to town. Saw a write-up, too, that said, um, you know, there could be tickets available. Packers not playing well. Weather's supposed to be kind of iffy, so Vikings fans will probably be pretty well represented represented at Lambeau Field here on Sunday. It's a nooner. Uh, Packers right now, according to this Yahoo Sports site, are a one-point favorite, but I don't know. I, I got to be honest. My fellow cheeseheads, I'm having a hard time envisioning too many more wins for this Packer team, given given their struggles. Now, I'm not saying the season's over. It's just they got to show something here sooner than later, or it will be over. You know, technically, they're not eliminated from anything really yet. But at the same time, like I had said on Monday, it's just the eyeball test. You can just see, you know, they're just looking really, really out of sorts here in Green Bay. And other teams are starting to figure it out. So the over-under on this one, Minnesota again visiting Lambeau Field. It's a nooner on the 29th. Chiefs had daylight time nooner. Uh, Packers one-point favorite, over-under over 42.5. So, I don't know, relatively lower scoring, I guess. Um, going Looking at some of the numbers here, and a couple, well, a couple of things that came out of the news this week for the Packers. Uh, Eric Stokes' long-awaited return, almost a year in the making. Um, he hurt his hamstring against the Broncos and he's on injured reserve again. So he'll be out at least a month. Um, Darnell Savage safety. He had a calf injury. He'll be out, uh, a month 
because he put they put him on injury reserve as well. So definitely some injury issues for the Packers. Um, you know, sometimes that turns into someone else's opportunity. So we'll see. You know, maybe someone else can step up for safety and corner and uh, do something because the Packers, again, defense doing okay on points, but not really creating big plays, not really creating turnovers to help your offense. Uh, and that certainly would help the offense. So, I, I mean, you know, like I said, I think it, Personally, I think it's going to be tough for the Packers to win because the Vikings have shown they can put it, put yards up and they can score if they're not turning it over. You know, even though the points per game is pretty even for the two teams, uh, Minnesota's actually lower at 18th, 21.6. Um, Packers 17th, 21.7. Um, but I think, you know, the trending is different. The, the Vikings are trending up a bit on that, and the Packers have been trending down, of course, not, not winning the game for what feels like forever. Points against are actually pretty even. Vikings at 20th, Packers 21st, uh, both right around 22 points per game given up. Uh, total yards per game is where it kind of starts to show. Vikings 11th, they're, they're gaining 368 yards a game. Packers 28th, 303. Uh, yards against, it's amazing how similar these teams are in some spots. 15th for the Vikings, 16th for the Packers. Passing yards, though, is where the big discrepancy comes in. You know, Kirk Cousins can still get the ball down the field. Uh, so they're second. We're going against the second-rank passing offense. This is what I meant about the backer defense. You know, so now you're going to have a real legit offense coming in here, kind of like we saw against the Lions, and we know how that went. So the Packers are 24th in passing yards per game at 212. Like I said, Vikings second, 293, almost 294 yards a game. Passing yards against, this is on paper where the Packers look okay, but I think part of it's a byproduct of their poor rushing defense and, and the fact teams don't really have to pass on them over the last couple of years. I feel like this has been a problem. Uh, so passing yards against, Vikings at 17th with 224. So not a great passing defense for these Packers to go against. And then um, passing yards against for the Packers, again, it looks good. It's 8th. They're holding teams under 200 at 194. Um, but this is why, because when we go to rushing yards against Vikings doing much, much better than the Packers. They're at 15th in the league, 105 yards a game's allowed per game allowed, uh, Packers sitting at 30th. And this is, you know, kind of the, the ugly part of the defense. Not many people are talking a lot about, because again, this is ball control. This is getting first downs. This is setting you up for second and shorts, uh, keeping you ahead of the sticks as they like to stay, say. Uh, so the Packers are 30th rushing yards against per game. They're giving up 143, almost 144 yards a game on the ground. You, that's ugly. Um, so again, that's ball control. That's just keeping your offense off the field. And so while the defense is looking okay in some spots and, and keeping some of the points off the board, that, that ground game, that ground defense has really got to improve. Rushing yards per game, a couple of ugly teams here. If we, If you can believe it, we got a team worse than the Packers. Packers are at 24, averaging 90, almost 91 yards a game and the, on the ground. And the Vikings are 30th at 75, just under 75 yards per game. Uh, sacks, uh, pretty even. Vikings 11th with 19, Packers 15th with 16. But the problem there is that uh, Daniil Hunter seems to be, I think he's leading the league. He's got like nine sacks for the Vikings. So almost all, you know, he's, taking up almost half of their sacks and you know Packers offensive line is not known to be playing pretty well this year so that could be a problem Daniil Hunter in the pass rush for the Vikings affecting Jordan Love and the and Wally and even in the running game we saw what Max Crosby and the Raiders did to the Packers all, all night long so time of possession both of these teams doing poorly 29th for Minnesota 27th for Green Bay and interceptions uh not much difference uh Minnesota has five. Green Bay has four. That puts Minnesota at 14th, you know, tied with that one extra one. And Green Bay sitting at 21. So, again, like, after kind of a rough start, the Vikings have uh, won games against Carolina, Chicago, and San Fran. And then they had a loss in there to, to Kansas City. And then Packers, of course, after that come-from-behind win uh, back in September against New Orleans, they've lost three straight to Detroit, Vegas, and Denver. So a long-awaited home game. Looks like here the Packers haven't played at home for over a month. September 24th was that New Orleans game. Uh, so maybe that'll help. Maybe we could use any kind of a boost uh, we can. 
uh, to get the Packers a, a victory here coming up on Sunday. So again, Packers, Vikings, uh, if I had to pick one, I, I got to go with Vikings. I just haven't seen anything from the Packers. That, you know, doesn't mean I'm not rooting for them. And I'll uh, actually, you know, there's a chance we'll be at this game Sunday and uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Go Pack, go. Um, but I'm not sure uh, <laughs> that we'll be able to uh, win one here against the Vikings the way they've been playing better and the Packers haven't. Uh, but let's take a look around the rest of the league then and kind of get into that hump day helmet portion of the night. Then we'll call it. So coming up tomorrow, Thursday night football. Again, it's always these quick turnarounds. I love it. I love I love football being on multiple nights a week. So tomorrow, interesting matchup. You know, three, four weeks ago, you'd think this would be a laugher. But right now, who knows? Tampa Bay 3-3 three and three, going into Buffalo at 4-3. and three. That's your Thursday night game on Amazon Prime. And... um that's got Buffalo as an eight and a half point favorite, 43 over under, according to this uh, Yahoo site. And then um, that'll take us right into our, our Saturday or Saturday, uh, Sunday games. Interesting matchup here, too. Los Angeles Rams doing a little better than expected. Uh, they've got the, the rookie wide receiver who's really doing well, Puka, Kachua, Pokemon, or something. Uh, going against the Cowboys, four and two Cowboys. Um, but Dallas, a decent favorite, six and a half points over under 45 and a half. So look for a fair amount of points in that one. Um, and then you got another nooner with Atlanta going to Tennessee. Atlanta's sitting at four and three. Look at that. And Tennessee, two and four. They've been struggling. So Atlanta's a three point favorite going into Tennessee. Low scoring predicted affair on that one, 35 and a half the over under. So might be, uh, one of them uh, kind of snooze fest games there, but we'll see. Atlanta going to Tennessee, uh, New Orleans and Indianapolis. Both teams are three and four. New Orleans a one point favorite. That's a nooner. They're going like that one will be Indianapolis over under there, forty three and a half. And then New England, two and five. New England. They had a, they had a win last week, I believe. Uh, going into Miami, the five and two Dolphins will probably be a little salty coming off their loss against the Eagles. You know, a big matchup the other night that, that didn't turn out to be such a great game. Some oddball penalty stuff going on. So Miami's a nine and a half point favorite over New England, 46 and a half over under. And that is also uh, a nooner. Uh, another noon game, you're going to have uh, New York versus New York. Uh, Jets versus Giants. Technically, the Giants are considered the home team on this one, and the Jets are a three-point favorite. 36-and-a-half low-scoring game is the over-under on that one. And then we'll see Jacksonville uh, go to Pittsburgh. So, an interesting matchup. Pitt Jacksonville 5-2, and two. Pittsburgh 4-2 and two with their younger quarterback, Kenny Pickett. Uh, that's a nooner. And then uh, Jacksonville is actually a two-and-a-half-point favorite going into Pittsburgh. I think that would be a tall order for Jacksonville to be a favorite. Uh, but they got a good squad. Trevor Lawrence playing well. Who knows? Maybe that'll maybe they'll pull out pull it off and, and cover that one. 42 is the over-under there. Philadelphia and Washington. Always tough those NFC East division games. Philadelphia six and one. Commanders three and four. Philadelphia six and a half point favorite on the road there. 43 and a half over under. Those division games to me are always hard to predict, but you gotta like Philly going into Washington there. Washington's been struggling a little bit the last couple games. Houston going into Carolina, and Carolina officially worst team in the NFL at 0-6. Uh, they've got uh, Houston coming in, uh, three-point favorite. I'm surprised it's not a little more than that, 43-and-a-half over-under. That's also a nooner. C.J. Stroud, the rookie, I understand, has been playing well for Houston, so it's kind of neat when you see those high draft picks actually pan out sometimes. Uh, and then, coincidentally, Carolina with the highest draft pick is sitting at 0-6. So D'Amico Ryan's the new head coach, first time head coach in Houston, must be doing a nice job there. Cleveland going to Seattle, a couple of four and two teams, and always tough for teams to go out to the West Coast, uh, Seattle, Washington area, uh, and deal with the, the crowd and all that. So Seattle's three and a half point favorite, uh, 38 over under, so kind of a lower than expected, I would think, score. Kansas City, six and one, and the Swifties, I don't know if Taylor Swift will be in Denver. Uh, but it's basically the Kansas City Swifties, 6-1, going into Denver, 2-5. And, and Kansas City's a 7-point favorite. But watch out, Denver, you know, big win over the Packers. They're rolling. Uh, that's a 325 game, so that one might be on television. Uh, by us, who knows? And then Baltimore going into Arizona, Ravens versus Cardinals, bird fight. Uh, Ravens with a big win over the Lions, looking pretty impressive there last week. So they're 5-2 going into 1-6 Cardinals, 8.5-point favorite. 
that's uh tied with a couple other teams as like the biggest spread of the week it looks like here on this yahoo site so that'll be interesting i mean maybe a letdown game or trap game you might call it but you'd have to think baltimore can take care of business there in arizona cincinnati uh they're kind of up and down season they're sitting at three and three the last year's super bowl team uh they're going in to face san francisco at five and two so san francisco losing a couple games in a row they're only three and a half point favorites uh, cincinnati is going to be a handful for them are we going to see san francisco lose a third game and go to five and three i don't know that's an interesting matchup for sure i hope that one's on i'll be looking forward to trying to watch some of that one and then we get into sunday night and it'd actually be the uh, Bears. The uh, Bears will be on national TV Sunday night going against the Chargers. And for a couple of teams with similar records, two and five Bears, two and four Chargers, uh, Chargers are an eight and a half point favorite. So interesting there. Bears coming off a win with their young rookie quarterback, winning more recently than our fourth year quarterback, which is a little bit troubling. <laughs> and I think, yeah, the Bears rookie was small time school guy. Well, anyways. Uh, so yeah, like I said, Ange- Los Angeles Chargers are eight and a half point favorite, 46 and a half over under. That's a Sunday night game. And then coming up on Monday, uh, we'll also get to, uh, watch one of our NFC North teams. The Detroit Lions are, are home against the Las Vegas Raiders. So I don't know if that'll be must see TV. Uh, Detroit's eight and a half point favorite Raiders have been looking pretty ugly, except for when they got to beat the Packers. And that's a seven 15 Monday night kickoff. Uh, coming up here this week so i don't know looks like detroit has a good chance of going to five and or i'm sorry six and two the bears let's say they go to two and six probably be a tough tall order to win on the road at the chargers and then that'll mean the packers and the vikings are kind of going to be fighting it out for uh second place because um yeah basically if the packers can beat the vikings they'd have, they'd have second place in the division not that that means a lot right now uh, but you certainly don't want to be dropping in uh, what would be their fourth game in a row. So hopefully they can avoid that. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much going to do it for me here on this hump day. Thanks so much for uh, listening and listening to me go through my stream team and uh, reminiscing about my fondness of LL Cool J and our uh, look around at the Badgers and the Packers. It's going to be uh, kind of winding down here on this hump day for me. Hope you're all going to have a good week and rest uh, rest of the week leading into the weekend. we got some school activities, boo bash, some fun stuff like that happening. I don't know if we're trick-or-treating or what's going on, but thanks everybody for listening. Like, subscribe, share, follow, all the things, and I uh, hope you have a great rest of your week. Thanks so much.